I do want to point out before I launch into the homily that Dr. Sia and Dr. Simon are back. Uh, our musicians have been in Korea the last few weeks, and uh, I, I just always think how grateful we should be for such beautiful musicians, let alone such wonderful music. Uh, and little Joseph's back too. Uh, so. Um, thank you guys. They, they came in late last night, and I think they're still on Korean time. Is that right? Uh, Boku Jesus points for you guys. Uh, I'm going to start off with a little history lesson on it to help our first reading perhaps make a bit more sense if, if we don't understand what was going on. Um, and the first thing we need to remember is that when Christianity started, for lack of a better phrase, it wasn't distinguished from Judaism. Uh, it was, it was Judaism, and uh, there were some Jews who believed and some who didn't, uh, but the idea of us being a separate religion didn't come till a bit later. But one of the things that did happen was a great many Jewish people became Christian. And uh, everything was kind of good until we hit our first family fight. And our first family fight happened when Gentiles wanted to become Christian. What's a Gentile? Well, um, I just asked myself a question, didn't I? I hate that, sorry. Uh, a Gentile, basically, real simple, it's a non-Jew, okay? Uh, that for the Jews, you divide the world into two chunks. There's Jews and Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Not a Jew, that's simple. But something that might be really important for us to understand is that at this point, Judaism and Christianity were the only religions in the whole world that connected believing in a God with a moral idea, right? Pagans or Gentiles could be devoutly religious people who were awful human beings. Religious was defined by, you did the rituals, but no pagan God said, we'll change how you live, be better. That is the revolution that Judaism brought to the world. An idea that if you worship God, you also have to obey God. And you have to do the things God says to do and don't do those things that God says don't. You and I are totally used to this, but trust me, it was radical and crazy. You know my thing for Roman history. I can tell you, some of the worst humans in history were Romans who were considered devout because they were pagan. The pagan gods don't tell you how to live. They just say, worship me and give me sacrifices. That's it. How are we doing so far? Okay. So Gentiles started to want to become Christian. And this was our first family fight as Christians. And we're really good at fighting. Uh, what was the fight? Well, you heard it in our first reading. Where our first, there we go, thank you. A group of Christians, Jews, started going around and telling Gentiles, you can't be Christian. You have to become Jewish first. Hey, and what did that involve? A few things. Let's talk about, not talk about circumcision, okay? But that was in there. Uh, it meant you had to follow the 614 laws of Judaism. And this was something that they were really, that was, it was so important to them that they were traveling around the known world, finding new Christian communities and go, no, 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 you're not Christian. You gotta become Jewish first. 
And it caused such a ruckus that the disciples all came together and issued this statement that you read today. You heard a 2,000-year-old letter today uh, that said, no, you can go straight from Gentile to Christian. Uh, what, what you can't do, of course, you have to abandon Gentile practices of offering blood to other gods. But you don't have to become Jewish first. You with me? Is this making sense? Okay. Why is that important? Because this is something we still do today, kind of. We keep trying to make it harder to be Christian. We work really, really hard at making sure that only good people become Christian despite the fact that we're Christian and we're not really that good often, right? That there is a whole sect in Catholicism whose ministry is to say, well, you people can't come here till you repent. But the rest of us look and go, well, how can they repent if they don't have access to Jesus? Why would we do this? Why would we keep trying to make it all smaller and harder? Well, because that appeals to our pride. Look at, right, we've been talking about heaven for three weeks, haven't we? Well, I have. You had to listen, sorry. And that's not heaven, I know, all right? But for three weeks, John's been saying, look, God showed me heaven. This is what it looks like. And it's amazing. And then today, what did John say? I saw it. And there's, there's three gates in the north, three gates in the east, three in the south, three in the west. I'm telling you, if you know your military history, you don't put 12 gates on a city that you don't want people inside. Yeah? And in every time John sees heaven, it's full of people rejoicing and praising God. That for us who are striving for heaven, who love Jesus, what we recognize is a couple things. First, Jesus wants you in heaven more than you want anything. And that's true of every person you meet. And he has stacked the deck in our favor. And when you encounter the person who can't wait to tell other people, you've got to repent or you're not going to make the cut, those guys miss the point. And here's the point. That you and me are here because we know we need Jesus. If we want to go to heaven, and we know we can't get there by being good. We can only get there by clinging to him. And if we know we're sinners, oh, we'll cling a little harder. But if we're convinced that you're a sinner, we might not be clinging so tight. This is a big problem. And we want to make sure that we always confront that thing in our heart that wants our Christianity to be based on the fact that we got it together. It's the opposite. This works for you and me because we know we're wrecks. Just working on this homily this week was an exercise in why nobody should have ever let me become a priest. Okay? And, and Father Sean and I were talking about this. By human standards, we should not be priests. A human God would never let such sinful people up here. R writing this, for some reason this week, my brain was a bag of cats worse than usual. And I'd sit down to pray, be like, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to tell your people? What do you want me to tell? And then I think, oh, you know what? I forgot to call somebody back. Right? And then 20 minutes later, uh, poor Jesus. Yeah? 
He's waiting for me back when I started praying and now I'm worrying about the future and regretting the past. I'm not even with him in the moment. Have you done this? That's why you're a good Christian. Because you know this of you. You're not so busy running around making other, other sure other people are doing it right. Instead, you're saying, let me to lead you to Jesus, not by my rightness, but by my need. I need him. And he can help you too. The last few years, there has been a great emphasis in our diocese, and I love it, on evangelization. And I think I say this a lot, and if so, I'm not sorry. Yeah? But evangelization isn't standing on, you know, street corners and asking if you've accepted Jesus. Yeah? It's you and me in our workplace and in our home. And as we move through the world, hyper-aware of how much we need him and how much he meets that need in us for love, for security, for strength. That when we're hyper-focused on that, we're a little less aware of what's wrong because we're so fixated on how beautiful what right is. And then we don't become people who say, well, you can't be a good Christian if. Instead, we focus on saying, come to him. Come to him. He'll clean up the mess. Not me. I can't. I'm too broken. Our gospel today, Jesus tells us, he gives us the map, okay? And what does he say? How do we show our love for him? Did you hear this? You read it, right, Norm? Yeah? No, you did. Okay. How do we show, no, the deacon did. What am I doing? Yeah, this, this is why we pay him the big bucks, folks. Yeah. Whoever loves me, did you catch the next part? Keeps my word. Find out what Jesus wants of you. It's in this book. Find out how he wants us to live and live that well. And you might think, well, I can't do that. Exactly. Look at the next part. I will send you the Holy Spirit. When we find doing and obeying God, when we find that that's hard, we've hit the truth. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, give me strength. If it can raise him from the dead, it can help you and I. So you and I seek to obey God in all things. We don't worry about if other people are obeying God. We got mess enough in our own house. And as we do that, we're calling on the Spirit. When we're tempted to let our uh, attention get rodeo clowned away, no, Lord, help me to focus on the one thing you gave me to control, me. Right? We call on that. Come, Holy Spirit. And then what does he tell us? And I'm leaving peace with you. My peace is my gift to you. And peace is the fruit of a people who know they're loved and who know we need saving and got saved. People who live that are peaceful. They're not at war with everyone. They're instead cognizant of all of those gates in heaven and of a God who's hungering to get everyone there. It brings a peace. Jesus tells us he's going to come back. 
And I, I, I have someone, one of you gave me a coffee cup for my birthday, right? Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Yeah? Have you seen those? I love this. But we want to be cognizant at all times that that hunger to get us home to heaven is going to translate into something very real, either personally, our personal death, or communally when he comes again. The one thing we know for sure is we're going to die. The one thing we know for sure is we're going to stand before him. He's not going to have a ton of questions about correct theology. Instead, we're going to know if we clung to him or not. And in that clinging to him, that's our hope. So I think this is our challenge and blessing for today. Jesus, help me to obey you. Help me to find out how you want me to live and be faithful to that. And help me count on your Holy Spirit to give me the strength to do so. And when I get, in Jesus' words, troubled or afraid, help me to remember it's one already. And that his hunger to get us home to him is what defines us, not our performance in response to it. Amen? Okay.